The Miami Dolphins have placed offensive tackle Austin Jackson back on injured reserve, but have signed veteran offensive tackle Eric Fisher to take his place. What does that mean for the Dolphins? We'll talk about that today here on Locked on Dolphins. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins, your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, co-founder of thedraftnetwork.com. And here today, we're going to be talking about the addition of Eric Fisher to the offensive line. I'm going to be talking about the latest and what is next for Austin Jackson. We heard from Coach Mike McDaniel. Some really interesting storylines unfolding for this Dolphins team late in the year, and and obviously it's December 6th, and uh, adding a a player to the ranks at this point in the year, you you temper expectations accordingly, but uh, Fisher is a player who's played a lot of football. He's clearly talented. He was the number one overall pick back in his time in 2013. I'm excited to kind of dig into expectations for Eric Fisher and what it really means. But there was a domino effect that got us to this point that's worth acknowledging, and, and part of that being compounded by uh, the status of Austin Jackson, who played in week one for about 10 plays and then came back in this past week and, and played almost a full game against the Texans and uh, then re-injured the same ankle. Well, he's going back on injured reserve. And one of the things that, before we get into Eric Fisher, I wanted to talk about was Austin Jackson and, and his contract situation. And like, this is a big deal, right? It's a first-round first, first round pick who played two years of starting offensive line in the NFL coming into this year, but was largely an underperforming player relative to his draft performance and expectation. And to some degree, I don't necessarily think that's um, – Austin didn't choose to get picked 18th overall, right? He was selected 18th overall. But I think if you go back and you rewatched Austin at USC, everybody kind of felt this was a developmental player. And the path has been very bumpy. You know, at this point now, we've played right tackle, we've played left guard, we've played left tackle. And we haven't necessarily found a home in any of those situations. And uh, the Dolphins will, of course, have to make a decision on a fifth-year option for Austin Jackson uh, coming into this next upcoming season. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. They're probably not going to exercise that fifth-year option because now you know th- this was the year in the new system that you say, okay, Austin, you know it's it's up really up to you right now. Take the bull by the horns, you know, claim this starting right tackle job, show growth and development, and then in time you can continue to become a better player. And that that simply has not happened. It has not taken that step for the Dolphins and Miami. You know. It, it, you're talking for a fifth-year option for an offensive tackle. I mean, that you're talking $15 million or so. Like, it's it's not a small number. So I wanted to, especially with the way that rookie contracts are now structured, um, you do get fully guaranteed deals. And for Austin specifically, next year will be the last year of his contract. Um, He's owed less than $2.5 million in cash, assuming they do not exercise the fifth-year option. 
if you wanted to move on from Austin Jackson, I want to kind of cover the ramifications of that. There is some dead cap that you will incur because you, you paid him the signing bonus. The signing bonus was about a $7.5 million sign back in 2020. That's divided out by four years, the first four years of the deal. Then if you got the fifth year, the fifth year would just be a fully guaranteed lump sum base salary. Uh, his base salary for the upcoming year is $2.47 million. If you were to trade Austin Jackson at any point in the offseason next year, that is the amount of money that you would save. You would save 2.47 against the cap and incur a dead cap hit of $1.87 million. It does not matter whether that trade happens pre or post June 1st. It's just a very basic vanilla set of circumstances for the Miami Dolphins with this contract because it is the fourth year of a four-year rookie contract. You know, there, there's not a lot of room for offset language and there's not a lot of room for stipulations and performance, but no, it's, it's okay. What's your draft slot? Okay. You know, that this is your prorated amount out of the rookie pool that you're going to have to play with. So from Miami's perspective, you know, Austin, he's still a young guy. He's not even 24 years old yet. I and mean, he's been in the NFL three years. The question we'll have to ask ourselves this offseason is the frustrating year three of Austin Jackson to save $2.5 million uh, worth coming back to relative to what other options you could find slash what level of comfort you have in keeping this player as one of the critical players. Because as we've seen, you know, the Dolphins throughout all of this, they could have signed Eric Fisher a while ago. Genuinely felt like they wanted to toe the line between getting their young guys opportunities and winning football games. And let's be fair, they have done that to this point. Here, eight and four. I know everybody's waking up on this Tuesday, and the Dolphins lost on Sunday, so we don't feel great. And I get it. But with the Dolphins at eight and four, you know, with giving these young guys opportunities and not going to the well for a bunch of vet guys to, to play, don't bridge the gap. That desperation's not necessarily there yet. And I think that's a good thing because you're still in a position to do everything that you wanted to do. The entire season is on the table for you. Every possible outcome is on the table for you. That's a win for the Dolphins. So, but now that Austin Jackson is going back out the window for the year, it becomes, yeah, okay, like we need a tackle, right? And we saw what last weekend brought against San Francisco with the tackles that we have. It's a nice little reminder that, hey, these are the kinds of dudes you're going to play in the playoffs. So you should probably go out based off of you know Austin's not coming back. You know that's not going to be an answer or a possible solution come postseason time. And it probably makes it pretty straightforward for you to say, okay, now is the time for us to make a move like this, bring a guy like Eric Fisher in, and then be able uh, to continue this season with a little bit more peace of mind in knowing that we have somebody who's experienced to play if we have to start 
two tackles. And maybe next year, and I would hope next year, but you can't plan on Austin Jackson getting injured and, and, and getting injured twice in two games played, but kind of is what it is. Um, hopefully next year the Dolphins will have the right perspective to uh, protect themselves and have the kind of depth that they need to, and veteran depth that they need uh, to not endure a game like you, you saw from the tackle play against San Francisco. These days, every new potential hire feels like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates, and that is why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. You can add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience. You could quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hiring versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That is linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You guys have probably noticed, Kyle, you sound a little weird this week. Um, I am currently down in Mobile, Alabama. I'm coming home today, uh, but I'm out in Mobile, Alabama uh, with Draft Network trying to get some stuff aligned for uh, our coverage of this upcoming year's Senior Bowl. And uh, had a chance to swing by the office and uh, the, the senior bowl office and, and watch some, some college tape on a couple of players and uh, really excited for, for the off season. But, you know, I, I'm very much hopeful that the dolphins are still playing football when that event rolls around, because of course that event rolls around uh, right around conference championship weekend is, is when the senior bowl calendar event uh, really pops up. Uh, and I'm hopeful. I mean, there'd be nothing greater in the world than having one more game to play down if I'm, the next time I'm down here in Mobile, Alabama. But uh, Eric Fisher stands a chance of being a significant piece of this puzzle. Right? Eric Fisher uh, is a veteran player. Eric Fisher, when he came out, was known for his athleticism. He was known for his mobility. He was known for his quickness. And he, ironically enough, like Austin Jackson, was a first-round pick who largely struggled his first couple seasons in the NFL before eventually finding his footing and figuring it out and going on to playing 10-plus years in the NFL. And I guarantee you Austin Jackson will play 10 years in the NFL, barring injury, just because his size and athleticism and length cannot be found and cannot be taught. But Eric Fisher is a nice case study of what, what patience can bring you. Now, I do think Eric Fisher didn't necessarily get uh, the runaround at three separate spots like Austin has gotten. But that's, it's the unfortunate reality of the Dolphins' offensive line struggles of the last, what, 10, 15 years? Is, it's always been a problem spot. So the Dolphins have had to just keep chopping wood, to borrow the phrase from Tua Tagovailoa and over-invest in that group. It has never become a, a position group that has been an area of strength that you could then feel like you have sufficient depth 
and put it off to the back burner and say, I don't think we need to invest here anymore this offseason because every time the Dolphins have done that, a Josh Sitton signing, uh, the, the season has come around, the player in question has gone down very quickly, and the Dolphins are back to square one all over again. It is um, nice to see the Dolphins make this move. This was a move I wasn't sure we were going to get. Obviously, from a skill set perspective, it is one that probably makes the most sense out of all the candidates that were out there as far as Fisher's strengths as a player and who he has historically been. Uh, It's definitely a logical fit. As far as the onboarding process, I'm not sure what that is going to look like. You know, Brandon Shell came in and was within a couple weeks playing and starting. And is that realistic for Eric Fisher? Probably. And I believe Coach McDaniel said during his Monday press availability that, that they've been working on this one for a couple of weeks. Did he get what was Eric Fisher holding out to sign with the Dolphins once Dwayne Brown landed with the Jets and so on and so forth earlier this year? They've been working on this for an extended period of time. Has he gotten play materials to start to familiarize himself with? I don't know. I'll probably be conservative. Uh, it does also sound, based on what Coach McDaniel said on Monday, that that us or Teron Armstead is pretty close to coming back. But I think the fact that there was the willingness to sign Eric Fisher probably probably indicates the Dolphins want to be ready, right? Like. Brandon Shell didn't play a great game against the 49ers, if we're being honest. He's supposed to be your swing tackle. He's been the starting tackle all year because Austin can't get healthy. So I'm, I'm willing to live and die with adequate offensive line play at any of the five individual spots, so long as everybody's on the same page and can perform and can execute. Now, you saw D'Amico Ryans steam up some really, really impressive uh, attack pressure situations and stunts up front. Uh, including the one in which Nick Bosa looped inside. And, well, they, the 49ers brought Fred Warner down right over top of Rob Hunt. So you occupied him, even though there was no intent of him ever rushing, uh, to get him a gap inside to loop into and then sack to a tongue and a low. That defense um, is probably the most intense one you will face at any point, in any stretch. Um, I think you can take solace if you're Miami in knowing if you hit your throws that you missed because you were juiced up or what for whatever reason. I think you missed two more explosive touchdown plays, right? It's a little bit more feast or famine than we're used to. The offense readily moving the ball and having 500 yards offense. It, it was probably not going to be like that. But the Jeff Wilson one was definitely a touchdown that the Dolphins missed. And I thought the one uh, deep crosser to, to Jalen Waddell was a touchdown that we missed. So if you're feast if you can feast or family your way to a couple explosive plays, knowing that's not a especially if you're gonna to refuse to run the football, um, I think you can take solace coming out of this game that, you know, the guy fell down for one of the interceptions. Skyler Thompson threw one in crunch time. The Dolphins had the, the strip sack came in crunch time when the Dolphins down two scores in the final few minutes of the game. And Tua missed the throw badly on the other interception. So they're, they're like their takeaways were self-inflicted wounds, 
And the points that you lost were self-inflicted wounds and the double-digit points that they scored were self-inflicted wounds. Okay, let's come back to work, keep that perspective and understand like, hey, like we execute, we're going to be fine. I think if the Dolphins executed on Sunday against the 49ers, they'd have been, they'd have been fine. They'd have, they won the football game. They didn't. And it was self-inflicted stuff. And I think that's what left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. So um, that doesn't really have a lot to do with Eric Fisher, but uh, I am mourning the loss just as all of you guys are. And um, I, I think the fact that you can take solace in that and in, in how intense that defense is and, and oh, unforced errors were really the, the downfall of you you kind of looking at the, the schedule and, and kind of looking at Toronto Armstead and saying, man, he's going to give it a go. He's going to be a tough SOB and go out there and try and play. But he's also going to try to go out there and play knowing full well that, you know, he's got a toe issue. He had an Achilles thing. He's got a shoulder now. And that's just kind of been Toronto in the NFL. Unfortunately, it's been, been a part of his experience and he's been, played through a lot of stuff. But if you're going to get to the postseason – well, get get Eric Fisher in here right now, regardless of how ready he is to help you against the Chargers or how ready he is to help you against the Bills, so that that way when you get to January, he will be adequately onboarded in the event that Toronto Armstead has to miss time. Or alternatively, he can elevate himself to potentially pass Brandon Shell as a better true option to play the right tackle spot. And I can't guarantee it'll happen. But I think that's the, the, the timing here that I look at that seems to make the most sense. Because we could say, well, this should have been done a while ago. And it's like, well, yeah, but up until San Francisco, they won five in a row. And Brandon Shell looked like a really good hit when he first came in. And I don't know that, that Brandon Shell should not still be considered a really good hit relative to how they acquired him as a street free agent. But um, there's, it, it's an upgrade opportunity. We all knew that. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts we are sure you are going to love, and that's why we are telling you about them, including Block Forever, available on Locked On NFL right now. Block Forever's brand new podcast from former NFL All-Pro Ryan Khalil and Audible. Khalil takes the conversation about football to the next level, giving football fans insiders look at the game through the eyes of the greatest players and personalities of all time. Khalil sits down with star players, coaches, and former pros across the league to get real about what happens on the field and behind the scenes, inside the locker room, during team meetings, and back at the hotel. It's available for free now on Audible or wherever you get your podcasts. Head over to Locked On NFL for a sneak peek of Block Forever or catch the full series available anywhere you get your podcasts. Available everywhere now. Audible. Get in the game. So if you had to ask me right now, Kyle, does Teron Armstead play this week against the Chargers? My answer is yes. Mike McDaniel made it sound like he was very close to getting the, the green light and to go ahead to play against the 49ers. I mean, that would have been a nice one to have, but it is what it is, and it's water under the bridge now, and the Dolphins are 8-4. Still control their own destiny, uh, depending on how they play in the games to come. If you asked me if Eric Fisher was going to play on Sunday night against the Chargers? I would say probably not, unless an injury prompts that into place. But if you ask me if Eric Fisher played on 
the following Saturday night, and you heard me right, that's Saturday night, against the Buffalo Bills, that's when my answer would probably be yes. So just to give everybody a timeline um, for Eric Fisher and his implementation, and and hopefully we we see Toronto Armstead this weekend against the Chargers, obviously with uh, Khalil Mack there being such a dangerous player. and potentially Joe Abosa returning. I know we're into the, the t- calendar and the timeline when he first suffered his injury that they said he may be back. So that's going to be something to watch. Um, but that's the last bit of news that we do, of course, need to acknowledge is yesterday, uh, the NFL flexed Dolphins Bills into Saturday night primetime football. So the Dolphins will play three, two primetime games in a row. Uh, they have the 49ers, and then they, of, of course, now have Sunday night football against the Chargers, and then they have Saturday night football against the Bills, and then they are the only show, show in town uh, the following week against the Green Bay Packers on Christmas Day in that time slot. So solo watching opportunities for the Dolphins the next three weeks. Uh, it's a compliment, right? It's a compliment that the, the NFL looks at the NFL slate and says, wow, Dolphins, Bills, potentially playing for first place in the AFC East with three weeks left. It's been forever since that's been the case. It's become a bit of a heated rivalry. Uh, Miami finally got a dub in this situation and, and how they won the game against Buffalo the first time around. I get it. Boy, oh boy, is that a hard pill to swallow to take a two-week road trip on the West Coast and then you finally get the chance to come home and then you got to leave a day early because now you got to play on Saturday night and play on a short week. The Bills are playing on a short week too, I get it. And the Bills are not playing an easy opponent because they got the Jets. But uh, it's exciting. It's exciting that this is the state of Dolphins football, but oftentimes the state of a team being put in a position where they, they want to be put on TV means guys are going to have to suck it up. So with the short week element of Buffalo now, and that now being a night game, no less, um, the urgency in Los Angeles should be strong. There should be a strong sense of urgency, not because you're at the risk of falling out of a playoff spot. I mean, shoot, you could lose the next two, and then if the Chargers win the next two and the Patriots win the next two, you could, depending on what happens with the Jets, still be in the playoffs. Losing the next two, and then you say, okay, we got Green Bay, New England, and the Jets. So go two and one in that stretch, and you'll, you'll win a football game. But, but if you go into the Bills game at nine and four, everything you want is still out there for you to do. So the urgency for the Dolphins, it, like if if we're going to put our money where our mouth is, or we're gonna really prove that we're different, and we're going to win the AFC East and all that kind of stuff, like that's got to start now. It's time for the rubber to meet the road. So that's why I spent a little bit of extra time not dwelling on the 49ers loss today, uh, but instead kind of shifting my eyes forward uh, and, and looking at this offensive line and the evolving situation there. So hope you guys enjoyed the discussion, Kyle Krabs. Your team every day here on the Locked On Network. So keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. Fins up. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. I will be back home tomorrow for the Wednesday episode of the show. So hit subscribe, follow along, 
and we're going to keep talking about this Miami Dolphins team here in 2022.